welcome to episode 202 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Diogenes Brito. He's currently a product designer at Slack. I think this is our first Slack product designer? Well, we got Christy Tillman long before she was there. Long so before like she was preemptive. there. preemptive. So there's a great conversation. We talk about uh, Dio's background, his journey into the industry, uh, working through internships and going to startups and how he ended up at Slack. Super fun chat. We went real deep and it was really, really enjoyable. Before we get into it, huge thank you to our sponsors that made this episode possible. First up, Figma. Figma is a company that is really, really awesome and needs some new people. What does Figma do? Figma is a tool for building and designing and sharing and presenting and collaborating on design. On interface design. Uh, it's based in the browser, has real-time collaboration with your team, stores all of your stuff in one place and in the cloud, so your files are available everywhere no matter where you are. We use it. You should use it. It's an incredibly powerful tool. Like, every time I open it, I can't believe I'm in the browser. Blows my mind. It's only getting better. Actually, their CTO, Evan Wallace, just wrote this post on Medium about how WebAssembly is making it so it's three times faster to load. Y'all, it's Which bonkers. is crazy. It's crazy. If you haven't tried Figma... They're wizards. Go try Figma. Uh, but, but if you don't know, I used yeah. to work there. Yeah. And since I no longer work there, they're trying to hire someone to take my old job. And you should go work there. They are looking for two designers. One, a design advocate, and a second, a content writer. Uh, See? Focused on they need two people to replace me. <laughs> well, Just kidding. Only one of these is my role. That's easy, a designer buddy. advocate role. <laughs> it's not a common role. But it's kind of an evangelisty, like you get to build UI kits for people and like create resources and you also make have videos. The and greatest excuse in the world to meet any designer you want. Yeah, your job is kind of to some degree going to lunch <laughs> with other designers, which is pretty chill. Pretty chill. Uh, but more importantly, the Figma team is amazing. They're doing great work. We love hanging out with them. They've been uh, just absolutely awesome for design for the design community and I, now you have a chance to go help them out i can't speak more highly of them after having spent almost a year with them and i highly recommend that you do the same but probably longer so if you're looking for a gig go to figma.com careers uh, of course tell me sent you they're looking for you again a design advocate and a writer uh, that writer someone Those that's going to focus on yeah clear. someone's going to focus on design trends and tutorials and helping people really understand how they can use Figma, the tool. They're uh, really bulking up content. And it's not just around like tutorials. It's also a lot of like actual like design analysis in the industry, which is really cool. Huge opportunity. Again, that's at figma.com slash careers. And even if you're not looking for a gig, give Figma a try. We love it. Can't recommend it enough. That's at figma.com. Thanks once again to Figma. Our second sponsor is called Fuse. Fuse helps you build better apps for iOS and Android. Uh, natively with your team in real time entirely out of fuses entirely out of fuses it's magical fuse is a real-time development environment where you can build apps that are actual apps and they do it with something called ux markup which is an actual language for creating entire user experiences uh, it's responsive and adaptive. You can learn it super easily. Uh, it's all based on components, so it's easy to reason mm -hmm. about. Handles animations and transitions and navigation and all this kind of stuff. And it's simplified in such a way that anybody, yes, designers, can write it. Gosh, and it so all, condescending, Brian. And it all compiles down to real apps. So if you've ever been interested in building something and having it in the App Store, uh, 
Fuse makes it incredibly easy to do. You just write it once, it's gonna to compile to Android and iOS. You can debug it, you can test it on your device, on your desktop emulator, simulator. Components are clearly the right way to be thinking about how to build apps in this day and age, especially when we're building things like design systems and all that stuff anyway. We're automatically thinking components. So taking it to the next level where it can actually create an app instead of just prototyping or just documenting is huge. And the cool thing is, it also works as like, if you just want to dip your toes in, you can actually build individual components that you can drop into any existing Xcode or Android Studio project. So you don't have to start from scratch if you want to, you can work your way in. Of course, that comes all with the debugging, this awesome UX markup, and it's real time. So anytime you make a change, it's going to propagate to your team. They're going to see what's up. So designers working with developers and vice versa, you're always in sync. You're always speaking the same language, which is an incredible way to work and we are very excited about it. If you're looking to try it out, go to fusetools.com, click around. They have a free version that you can just try and play and actually build apps, which is pretty rad. If you're working with the team and wanna take yourself to the next level, they have a Fuse professional plan, which gives you access to Fuse Studio, which is an entire software suite that helps you build world-class applications. In the notes they gave us, they make a point that Fuse Studio and Fuse Pro are not for everyone. They're for people who already have income coming out of their design business, who already have like a client base or whatever. It's pretty expensive. The free plan stands on its own. It really is like a full-fledged tool set. The Studio and Pro are just some add-ons. But if you want to save some money on Pro, you can go to their website and use design details at checkout to save 50%. Save you 50% on the professional plan for 12 months, which is crazy. But the way I like to think about it is rather than spending a lot of time learning how to prototype something that is inherently unusable to an end user. You're, you're making throwaway garbage if you're prototyping. Just learn how to use Fuse and actually ship an app. Again, that's at fusetools.com. Uh, give it a try on the free plan. And if your team is interested and wants to use it, get the professional plan for 50% off if you use design details at checkout. Thanks so much again to Fuse. That's at fusetools.com. Thanks once again to Fuse. And finally, tomorrow, June 15th, if you're listening to it, the day this comes out is the Vectors Conference here in San Francisco, hosted by our good friend Gabe Baldivia. So hurry up and get a ticket, fly out here to San Francisco. Just kidding. Uh, well, I'm guessing if you're listening to this now and you don't have a ticket, you're not going to go. Mostly because they're out of tickets, but also because it's in San Francisco and traveling last minute's hard. So you can go to spectrum.chat slash vectors and find the vectors community. We're going to be posting all the videos on there, all the talks, having live chat, watch parties as the event's happening uh, on June 15th in the evening. But we'll all the, be in there. We'll be in there. Because we gonna, built it. We built the whole thing we that built it's the on. Thing. We're pretty proud of it. But we're also going to be at the event, so come hang out with us if you see us uh, on the 15th. And Are we going to be like live journalists from the event? Can we be like the E3 of design? Yeah, we're going to have our laptop live up blog and doing all the talks. Mm, live blog so it. good. Paying attention. We're very excited. Uh, if you don't get a chance to come, check out the community. Uh, again, that's at spectrum.chat slash vectors. We're going to keep that going throughout the year, and you can ask questions and have conversations with folks in the design community. We also have a design details channel in there, spectrum.chat slash specfm. You can find all of our podcasts in there. Yeah. Really so, hogging their their time. Super excited for vectors. Come check it out. Hope to see you there. Otherwise, uh, we'll catch you on Spectrum. And with that, let's get to episode 202 with Diogenes Brito. Yeah, well... Whenever I give a talk, my I have a little spiel at the beginning. Okay, let's hear the spiel. It's it's only like 
15 seconds long. I <laughs> say pretty long. That's uh, well, I well, I have a complicated name. <laughs> okay. do, so, do we have to show like slides with it? No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, we, uh, the visuals we help. Pull I, them in? <laughs> <laughs> I say, you know, my name is Diogenes Brito or Diogenes Brito, which is how my mom would want you to pronounce it. Uh-huh. But most folks call me Dio. And uh, I'm a product designer and an engineer. Cool. Currently working at Slack. Nice. What are you working on? Uh, I'm on the platform team. So I work on any third-party service uh, that has some sort of expression inside of Slack. But in general, it's the platform and capabilities that developers can use to build on top of Slack or integrate with Slack or make Slack do something interesting that it doesn't already do. What's APIs and webhooks and... Yeah, developer experience, the app directory, kind of uh, platform capabilities, API idea kind of stuff. For anyone who doesn't know, which maybe is one person that's listening, (laughs) what is Slack? Slack is a messaging tool for teams. Cool. So we hope that we sell organizational transformation, Mm -hmm. but the tool itself is essentially uh, a messaging and kind of file sharing tool that you can use for communicating with other members of your team in a open and transparent way, we hope. And Um, so what does that mean for you doing platform stuff, third parties? Like what's an example? Like what sort of companies use it? Or what no, is like, what, what would you do as a person developing on the platform yeah. for Slack? Well, we have a lot of apps that uh, add some features to Slack. Like, for example, polling. We have polling apps um, because you can't currently make a poll in Slack, that sort of thing. Uh, but we well, also, why don't you just build that? We could. We <laughs> wow, could do, Brian. We could do, <laughs> what are you up to? <laughs> we could do everything. Uh-huh. But <laughs> but we don't. There's no time. There's yeah. no time. Uh-huh. We can do anything, just not everything. Uh, and we think we're working on things in the right order. You'll see. Okay. It's going to be a good year for platform. But uh, so we have a lot of apps that add features. We have a lot of uh, sort of internal custom apps where developers are making special integration points with their specific like internal. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a lot of uh, large companies have these old tools, you know, Oracle SAP systems that they need to connect up and send into whatever messaging service they're using or notifications where people, now that you're communicating with Slack internally, you tend to send a lot less email or no email at Mm -hmm. all, basically. And that means that things that you maybe would have previously received via email, you want to receive inside of Slack or interact with inside of Slack. So the platform allows you to hook that up yeah. in a sensible way. What's your favorite Slack bot? My favorite Slack bot. This is going to sound sort of, you know, I'm tooting my own horn here, but um, <laughs> toot toot. When we, when we, uh, when we released message buttons, which is a feature that allows you to put interactive uh, buttons in your messages to perform actions um, in your service as a, you know, as a developer, you can send a message that has a button on it where you can click on it and it does something interesting. Uh, in order to test it, we had to come up with, you know, what sort of thing would people use internally that has some of these buttons? Like we made the feature and we wanted people internally to try it and use it because we always release stuff internally first, but we didn't have any integration or app that already did this. Uh-huh. So, um, we were brainstorming about it, and uh, obviously lunch came up because oh lunch is the great equalizer. What, what, 
would everyone in the company want a to taco use? taco button. Well, everyone wants to get lunch. So uh, there's an app called Lunch Train, which we have since released and huh. made available publicly, at least the code for it, I believe. And uh, it lets you uh, get a lunch train together, which is you you know post a message to the yeah. channel. I, I'm going to sushi at 12 o'clock and people can click the button, say board the train. And then... <laughs> Uh, you know, it sends you a reminder right before you're about to leave and you get your own controls. Uh, if you're the train conductor, if you're the person who started it, you can uh, derail the train, you can cancel it. Wow. Um, you guys went you can, really deep on <laughs> yeah, this. Yes, um, <laughs> we did. We really did. Actually, my uh, secret about the future of platform is that... Maximum metaphors. Yeah, <laughs> is I, I believe that once we have developed the capabilities to create the perfect lunch bot, we will have succeeded and the platform <laughs> will be essentially done. What does a perfect lunch bot do? Oh, great question. Great I can question. tell you what great, the perfect lunch bot for me is. It helps you. And I'll let you build towards that future vision. Yeah. So, okay, the perfect lunch bot probably helps you uh, find the place to eat. It probably helps you gather the people together that you need to eat. Yeah. You're, it, pro- it probably helps you maybe order it from that place choose the things that you you know want to buy perhaps pay right there uh i'm gonna simplify this for you <laughs> consider wow. me your golden use case right. i want a button says, i want advisor shares in slack for this i want, I want a button that says send me some tacos from pepito on Petrero hill you know what that kind of thing already exists i'm pretty sure there's already so then you've solved it so we're done here i believe i believe i'm not totally sure about this because i heard rumors about it maybe it's already released i'm not sure but there should already be a sort of domino's app uh, somewhere that's and the worst taco, one and a taco bell getting okay. worse yeah, uh-huh. where you can press a button and receive you mm-hmm. know food and that's fine that's like that's basic. We enabled. That's one of the first things you said, we enabled. You said the, the perfect one, and the, <laughs> we've described it now. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, what if maybe it helps you get your group together yeah. or eat with a set of people you don't usually eat with, or what if you, you don't know, like your coworkers? Maybe it helps you find a place to eat that doesn't have your coworkers in it because it knows where <laughs> everywhere else where everyone else is going to lunch. But what if well, my only coworker I have to sit next to? <laughs> well, my other coworkers in Austria, so I don't have to worry about him. Uh, but. Yeah, he's yeah. talking about me. Yeah. <laughs> what if I just want to like get out of here? You know. <laughs> but you always get along with people once you've had Pepito. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's it's a mood effect. Pepito in Hayes Valley. Mm-hmm. No, 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 that's no, yeah, no, that's no. the bad one. That's the, oh, the, the Petrero Hill. Petrero Hill. Oh, I've never been to that. Uh huh. This has been Taco Details. <laughs> Where are you from? Where am I from? Uh, well, I grew up in New York City. Grew up in New York City, uh, mostly in Washington Heights, which is a neighborhood in Manhattan. And uh, there's a fun musical about Washington Heights. Yeah, I've heard about Heights. I've heard about it. Fact. By the famous Lin Manuel Miranda. By the famous Lin Manuel Miranda. <sighs> and it's about so you. Great. Yeah, it's basically about which me. is how I heard yeah. about you first because yeah. I went and saw the show. And mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's essentially about who's me. this guy? Yeah, my uh, block growing up looks just like the set of that musical. Um, I mentioned to you earlier, I have the <laughs> same hat as the main character yes. Usnavi. Yes, uh, my grandma looks like the the original cast grandma. You know, the, all the pieces fit together. Um, yeah, so I grew up in that neighborhood in New York, Washington Heights. And uh, it's a pre- uh, predominantly Dominican neighborhood, or at least it was at the time. It might be more Mexican now, but um, it's sort of the biggest group of people from the Dominican Republic outside of 
the Dominican Republic, which I didn't realize oh, at the wow. time. Um, but I grew up there. My uh, my dad is from Dominican Republic, and my mom is Colombian. And they, you know, they landed, uh, ended up taking up some space there for a while. Okay, uh, and yeah, I kind of grew up there until I left for uh, college in um, college at Stanford out here in California. What was it like growing up in New York? Were you a artistic person, an engineering what was person, it like creative? That's a, that's a difficult question to it's answer. A little broad. I, I need, yeah, I sort of need to know Can where. You just describe like every how day you're, <laughs> how you're anchoring. You know, because some people, you know, if you're from another city, you know, I I can sort of describe some of the differences. If you're not from a that kind of dense city, I it's grew up the, in a town of thirty thousand people in the mountains of Colorado. Okay, so you, you grew will, up in New you York have City. No, just it will be almost impossible to describe what <laughs> I, well, you I've level so, of difference. I've lived in New York for okay. a few months. Okay, so I'm you know, basically a local. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's from there. Yeah. He's OG. Yeah. There's like <laughs> there must be two million people on the island, right? Exactly. Um, which is you know about like one and a half miles wide, yeah. seven, yeah, twelve miles long. No, yeah, twelve miles long, something like that. Um, maybe. T- Nine million people in the whole city. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's pretty dense. Uh-huh. It's pretty dense. It gets pretty tall. I remember feeling out uncomfortable with how much sky I could see when I came out here. Oh, I didn't like yeah. that. The buildings are too short. I still think <laughs> that. So, you know, and I, I, as a kid, I spent a lot of time on stoops. That's not, people think that's sort of uh-huh. interesting. You know, I didn't, the whole, a lot of space everywhere on to the park stoop. and, and oh. go, like, that's... That's not a thing mm-hmm. that we have <laughs> not in Manhattan. Well, San Francisco <laughs> kind of sucks for parking too. Not gonna lie, <laughs> that's that's true. It's maybe like it's not, it's not as bad as, as bad. New York. Yeah, maybe not. Um, although I will say uh, our roads are nicer. What's going on here with them potholes? Where's, where's the money going? I swear to God, you have What's to going have on? an off-roading vehicle to drive yeah. around the city. It's insane. It's bonkers. Like right outside your place, Bryn. It's like a Fucking it's generally unpleasant on the street. You need an ATV to get down 4th Street. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Uh, everyone should just ride motorcycles and we'd all be good. They're, they're not think... proactive about it. No. They're really not. No. <laughs> anyway. Did you like growing up in New York? Did you have a positive I think experience? so. I didn't, have, I didn't have any problems with it. Yeah. <laughs> that much. Um, Were you a creative person? Was I creative person? I, you... I like to think so. I've always been oriented towards problem solving and like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pattern matcher. So I'm always like looking at finding mm-hmm. patterns and then thinking about sort of pattern patterns, like thinking about thinking and seeing what people are doing. So meta. At like, yeah, I, I get meta <laughs> like instantly. That's kind of my, my brain is just wired to get meta about everything. And then hopefully, you know, when I've had enough sleep coming up with ideas for tweaking that meta level to make things work a little better. Do you have so, trouble sleeping? <laughs> uh, I just need more all the time. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, I think that's an introvert thing. You know, you have very limited energy, so you have to manage it very carefully. Your Twitter profile, yeah, says the people's INTJ, which is very funny because I too am an INTJ. But this this topic has come up on the show many times Uh of like how much weight you put on that rating. Like, what does that mean for you to be an introvert? I don't even know what the other ones. Well. First, I want to clarify that I I mean a very specific definition of introvert when I say introvert, and that's yeah. the more sort of psych 
science version of it, which is more about um, that energy management, like Mm. where introverts are more likely to be high sensitivity people. They're more likely to be high self monitors. They're more, um, you know, not that they, it, it doesn't have anything to do with being shy or anxious. It has to do with like, whether you're like energized by hanging with people or you're, you know, drained and that you spend most of your time kind of focused on your internal life of the mind versus, you know, things that are happening in your environment. That's the kind of package of things that I mean when I say introvert. And from that perspective, very much that. Um, And you're right. I do have INTJ on my profile and I think if you dig into it, if you're reading like the, you know, kind of young psychology <laughs> books um, that I do very much subscribe to the way they describe it because it's been very useful for me to understand like how I'm thinking somewhat yeah. differently than other people's, especially because out in Silicon Valley, you find a lot of these people mm-hmm. because I think this kind of work and this, these sorts it caters of interests, to introverts. Yeah. It, it, you know, we draw that kind of crowd. I've always been able to, I think uh, Silicon Valley is spectrumatic, perhaps <laughs> on the whole. Uh-huh. <laughs> is the way to one way to describe it. Um, and I've always felt sort of comfortable thinking in that way and, and relating to those people in a way that you know not everyone else has. And I think there's less of us overall as a percentage of the total population. So reading that stuff and understanding how it applies to me has given me a lot of tools to be able to understand other people and my relationships with other people and my interactions with other people. So it's not like, you know, you, you read a Myers Briggs description and you're like, Oh, that's that person. Like I, I, I like, for example, a lot of these psych studies are actually based on, you know, uh, college students from America, you know, a small set of American universities. Right. So I, even I, I realize that if you dig into it, you know, I see where, I spot cultural differences, uh-huh. you know, things that don't really apply to me um, that are, you know, they're kind of said as if they're universal, but it, mm-hmm. it's really specific to, you know, a kind of specific culture. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've spotted the differences and, and I've read about that and communication styles and learn like where, oh, okay. Like in my culture, we kind of tend to talk like this and in, uh, you know, a more, and urban cultures, it's a little bit more like this. And in, you know, in tech versus non-tech, it's a little bit more like this. And you kind of triangulate all those things together and, and you learn a little bit more about relating to people. So that's, that's how I use it as a tool. Yeah, that's what I like about it in reading books about people's personality styles, not as a prescriptive way that right. people are, but as like a reference point of here's how I can think of yeah. this set of behaviors. Yeah. That and they have or that they have or how we... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they all every you know, all of those traits lie on a spectrum. Right. You know, and it's all like you're this, so you're more likely to be thinking like this. But in some situations you think exactly the opposite. So it's all very Wouldn't it be fun if it was easy to define people? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, <that'd be> great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be sweet. It's not possible. Could, yeah. But it's an it, it potentially nice. dangerous. Mm-hmm. For for me, for I many get reasons. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for other reasons. Yeah. Stereotypes. Um it's really for me. I find it really handy because I run into a lot of dumb interpersonal issues that I don't think you know most people run into, and I, it like it what? always seems to come into 
you know, come back to being like, oh, okay, I see. Wait, like, like what's INTJs an example? Are more likely to think. Um, dumb interpersonal issues. Let's see. Oh gosh, there's so many. It's just my whole life. It's just like same <laughs> problem over and over again. Uh, I I do feel like I'm able to. I'm a good uh, like people read. You know, like I can I can really easily tell how people are feeling and reacting. How right? am I feeling right now? You know, <laughs> um, but then I can't like successfully. You know, my my first instinct to be like, oh, I want to help this person feel better is like usually the wrong one. Interacting yeah. with that can be really difficult, yes. even if you can recognize what is happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is difficult, but like, for I know some other people who their first instinct is usually like the right one, the better one. Mm-hmm. You know, um, to like mm-hmm. defuse the situation or make them feel better or supported or whatever it is. Um, and it's usually what I would might find counterintuitive. I think that's probably the most frustrating thing to me is when my intuitions are wrong and I don't know how to change my intuition because it happens instantly and it's like the right. first response right. and it's just fucking wrong. Yeah. It's like so, really bad intuition. Yeah. So that's my whole life to like catch myself in that moment and being like, ah, yes, my lifetime of data says that I should say the opposite right now of what I want to say. Yeah. And then sometimes I, sometimes I manage to do that and I'm like, oh shit, it worked. Yeah. Like, wow. Well, yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Happens to me pretty much all the time (laughs) (laughs) what do you want to be as a kid what do you want to do what did i want to do i remember telling my mom i wanted to be a chemical engineer that way at what age this is pretty young this is like it couldn't have been further much further than kindergarten and you want to be what a chemical engineer i was gonna say there has to be a reason (laughs) yeah okay Okay. here's why here's why um i like the sort of picture i had in my head of mad scientist Uh right uh just like doing science stuff and (laughs) just general science together in beakers what do you want to do explodes science stuff yeah that's kind of this like i had that i don't know where i got that picture maybe movies or something um and then at some point someone told me specifically that the kind of career where you mix chemicals together and things might explode is chemical engineering like that's literally all the information i had for a while like so when you're going around as a kid what do we want to be a fireman a a princess or whatever and i'm like chemical engineer i want to blow shit up yeah because previously i would have said mad scientist and i switched it to (laughs) what i thought was the official term chemical so prepared (laughs) you should you should go back you should go back um and then later I just basically discovered I wanted to make stuff mm-hmm. and that I liked computers and tech. Mm-hmm. And in college, I first I thought I wanted to be, there was this major called computer systems engineering, CSE, which was half uh, computer science and half electrical engineering. So to me, that mm-hmm. was like, oh, cool. Like make robots, program them to destroy. Like sort of <laughs> that Got was the hardware, vibe, software, yeah. boom. Like <laughs> mad scientist like vibe. Computers making stuff. If together. I'm gonna build a death ray, this is how <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna right, do it. Exactly. <laughs> this is gonna give me all the skills I need to build stuff and work with computers and make those computers move around and do stuff. That kind of thing. Um, it turns out electrical engineering super boring and theoretical to me. Not you know, sure. No shade on people who do that, but. Uh, not for me, which only left the computer science side, and I definitely didn't want to only do that. Like I o- always felt. How are you like, going to take over the world with computer science? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always felt like 
that that's sort of the back end, you know, and I wanted to be at that, like, you know, a little bit closer to what people are using or interacting with. Mm -hmm. And so then I looked through the engineering handbook because I knew I wanted to do engineering because I, I think in my mind, I knew engineering was difficult mm. and I knew I could decide not to be an engineer, but I wanted to have that kind of, you know, that knowledge that A, I had done it and B, like everything else, since everything else is easier, like I could, you know, if I, if you're an English major and you want to go into engineering, like you just can't basically, right? You have to, the making up that gap mm -hmm. is really difficult because you're you're not going to be taken seriously technically mm -hmm. essentially but like if you're a mechanical engineer and you decide to become a writer you know you can i think you can make that transition or that's the sense that i had like that's the hardest thing the, the expectations are set very differently for those two things yeah i uh, I, I thought that like that some sort of engineering you know would be the like the most difficult technical thing to do and i could decide to do mm -hmm. whatever later after i left school um but I wouldn't be like blocked from doing anything because I had like the sort of extreme end of the pedigree, I, I guess. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I was reading a conversation a while ago uh, between like physicists and engineers and CS majors about like what is the hardest degree. <laughs> and there is no answer because it's all different. Depends right. on the school, depends on the courses you take. Totally. This, that, well, and the, other. the difficulty also has to do with how you think about things too, right? It, so. it depends on your mind as well, yeah. But the the one thing that was pointed out to me that I think, you know, when you say it out loud, it sounds obvious, but it, it's maybe subconscious for a lot of people is for CS people or people that are really into computers, there's oftentimes a ton of background knowledge that you just absorbed as a kid. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't have exposure to like tinkering on a computer when yeah. you're in high school with no expectations, you pick up things and you learn things mm -hmm. that are actually useful as you're studying it in a formal setting. Totally. Where people that never had that, it's like way harder. Yeah. It'd be like trying to understand internet culture if you came online today, right? Like internet culture takes... <laughs> Why does everyone hate each other? <laughs> internet culture takes years and years and years to like get the nuance of there's, why... There's a lot of background. Why things are the way they are on the internet, right? Yeah. The same thing with yeah. computer science is like... I think that's true about that everything. I think that's Maybe true about so. everything. Like I actually know my... I have a friend who is a writer mm -hmm. and he's like incredible at it. And if you look at the p parts of his life who that prepared him for that, like he's been doing sort of creativity and improv stuff mm. essentially mm. his whole life. He's been exposed. Like he's always been like a really heavy reader and you know, his parents were writers and there is a level of like, th there, there are experiences you have growing up that in pieces prepare you for whatever exactly. it is you're going to do or going to be good at. Yeah. Um, in my case, you know, in being interested in making and problem solving, like that's, you know, a lot of different kinds of engineering. Yeah. So I totally, totally agree with you there. I think it's true about almost every, um, every major. So yeah, I was, I looked through, I looked through the big engineering handbooks and you had to be engineering and everything, pretty much everything looked super boring to me, uh, with the exception of mechanical engineering, okay. which, which looked with, which just based on the classes looked awesome. Mm -hmm. Like so many making classes and project-based classes. And like, I'm just, I'm like, seeing the pattern here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just, it was cool. Except mechanical engineering had 
a small subset of boring classes. So I was like, ah, this one's 90% good. I can probably handle it. How about this one? But then right underneath mechanical engineering was product design. Oh. And product design was exactly the same as mechanical engineering. In fact, it's a subset. So like my, my degree actually says like bachelor's of science in engineering and then in parentheses product design. It's mm-hmm. like a, I don't know, um, sort of an odd mix there. But it's a, the depth is in mechanical engineering. But instead of fluid dynamics, thermomechanics, like, thermodynamics, um, differential equations and, you know, the stuff you need for jet engines and car engines and like fourth and fifth level math, whatever the, the most boring <laughs> classes in that See, set. I, I started school going to, for automotive engineering. That's the stuff I care about. <laughs> right, right. I tried to avoid all the math classes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's like, I, <laughs> I saw those and I was like, oh, that's lame. I guess I'll have to do that though to get to the other classes. And product design was the same thing except without those classes. That and sounds dope. <laughs> exactly. Sounds great. And it was, uh, those classes were swapped out with studio art classes, psychology classes, design classes. That sounds and so I was good. like, amazing. This is what I want to do. And uh, I did it. I went, I saw, I went to go see the major advisor for that major. And they were like, you know, his name is Shilajit Banerjee. They call him Banny. And he was like, all right, let me tell you what design is, what a designer is like. They're ABC and they're creative like this and they like this thing. And, and I'm I like, I have like stars in my eyes. I'm like, that's, that's me. I want to, that's what I want to do. So that's kind Someone of the solved, moment. Someone like just what yeah, designers are. I was going to say, wait, we hang on. We got to interview this guy because he wish, knows the answers. <laughs> I wish I remembered what he said. I just remember being like everything you're saying. I I love it. I want that. I am exactly the person you're describing. <laughs> that's what I want to do. From then on, I was like, design is for me. I'm going to be a designer. I'm going to study product design. Like That's what's really interesting to me about Myers-Briggs. It's like the marketing pitch for a personality. Like what people, these people want themselves to be. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I see myself reading a lot of um, like goals into it versus like how I feel like I actually am. It's like mm. my ideal self would be that thing to yeah. some degree. Aspiration, yeah, aspiration, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember which one you're supposed to choose if you're taking the test, whether you should choose the one that you aspire to be, like the one that you want to be or the thing that you think you actually are. I don't know which one. Uh, I think you're supposed to like try and have an honest self-evaluation. Mm. It's yeah. really hard to do that, right? To yeah, have <laughs> an objective self-evaluation because yeah. you see yourself in an ideal state, I think. Maybe most people do. Or you'd like to anyway. Yeah, it's like, I, I think, oh no, I actually am pretty good at A, B, and C, even if you might not be. I think we kind of have that about careers as well, though. It's like you you kind of read into your role what you want it to be sometimes more than what it is. Totally, totally. Uh, like, if I, if I knew I was going to spend two days a month arguing with uh, iOS Safari, like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't like really read that into my yeah. ideal design role. Yeah. And and that can be a struggle sometimes because usually what happens is you're, you're mostly a match, but there's some parts that you have to do that you don't like doing, mm-hmm. you know, like people become computer scientists because they want to, you know, solve these interesting problems and like come up with cool, elegant solutions and that sort of thing. And like, a real important part of it is like writing tests and mm-hmm, yeah. debugging. And like, that's not necessarily what you're into, but you have to do it to succeed. Uh, and there's definitely plenty of stuff like that in design. And when you have a really bad match is when like, that's I've, I've worked with people where like, Oh, you're like, I don't know. Or you know what happens? Sometimes you have a very designery developer who should be like actually in a design position, but is in a developer position. And they're like, 
they're basically unhappy because they want to be doing all this design stuff and every, you know, their manager and the people they work with are like, just like, you know, stop talking to people, go write some code, please. And then I've seen it in the other direction as well. Yeah. Where like, you know, you're, you're not all the, or the way they're on the design side, or you really actually care about the technical parts of solving these Mm -hmm. problems, but you're a designer instead of a developer. And then, it's difficult for other people to work with you as a designer. So it's like you, finding that fit is actually really difficult. I agree. And uh, usually those people working together is a pretty good match. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah that's yeah. like almost an ideal for me is like, don't have to change, just like get with the right group of people where that will work well together and you don't hate each other because everyone's frustrated that nobody's doing the right thing or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. At a smaller company where you have a little bit more flexibility in your role or where, you're at a, you know, the same title means a different thing at a different company. If you get to one that, you know, values that aspect of you and doesn't have the hard requirements for the other pieces, then it can be great. So you had this grand vision in your head of product design. Mm -hmm. Slash slash mad science. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, mad scientist was when I was like very young. Slash super villain. But we know it's still there. Yeah, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, like make big, solutions yeah, yeah you know to big hairy problems that was like so how did that work out so you started studying product design where your did expectations did reality meet your expectations it kind of did you wow. know i just sort of i'm glad that i stumbled into it in mm-hmm. that way and because every everything that happened from that point forward from banny describing to me like what design is and what a designer is is like yeah, like this is me. Like I'm all about it. And every all the classes and all the stuff that we learn about, I'm like, yeah. User centered design. Yes, the user. Yes. Like it is about people. Like, you're, just in the back, you're in the back of your class, just like shouting, yes, I get yeah, it. Yes. Like this is everyone's like, oh, God damn it. So true. Like creative Chill, problem man. solving. Design thinking, like, I'm all about this. Like this is I loved all of that stuff. So Actually, I will say, oh my God, man, like chill out. Um, yeah. So it did make it harder to do the, the technical stuff. I didn't involve design, but, um, I think before I got all the way through the program, I was just like, make stuff, make cool stuff. And I think that's true about a lot of younger folks, especially they're not like, they don't care too much about the specific problem. They just like, oh, that's cool. I want to make something like that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I think a lot of people get into computer science that way too, where they're not like, like, oh, you made this app. Like, look at this cool game that you developed. Like, I want to make something like that. And it doesn't really matter necessarily what it is. Yeah. Just this, this cool factor of whatever the item is and the and the act of making it. Um, and I think I had that. But one thing that I think as a result, that I got as a result of the program was this sort of, social responsibility piece of it mm-hmm. maybe because there are a, a bunch of hippies down there just like Ugh, you those know, stanford hippies I you swear can't just God. make anything you should make something that's like good for society you yeah. know something that's really valuable for the users like something not just don't make something cool like are you really improving someone's life and that was it's good and bad and that's a positive change but it also means that you know i feel a little less able to just make some frivolous you know, thing that I know is like, it's just for fun, but I know won't help anyone. It's just like a fun toy, but I'm always thinking like, what's the point of this? Like, is this hmm. going to help anyone? Um, I, hmm. I get it. I do like the idea that sometimes those frivolous, silly things, if given time can become something meaningful to people. Uh, 
So killing that idea too early is maybe not ideal. No, no, I, I actually, I'm totally behind that. I think that's how I feel about art. That's hmm. how I feel about great media. Like it's, you know, like a really amazing movie or Broadway performance or song. Like that's, it's not like, hey, did you solve my problem? Did you pay my bills? Like, did, no, like yeah. that, it's not any of that, but it's still valuable. Yeah. And I can really appreciate that. But whenever I think, whenever I get excited about doing something like that, I'm instantly like, nah, like I, I should be doing something more directly about you know, I, it's it's hard to so they drilled social good into you sort of yeah or maybe they weren't intending to but that's that was, I, I, that, that was an additional thing that i got where i wouldn't feel comfortable like i, I actually would love i think it'd be awesome to work at a place like pixar mm-hmm. you know uh they just like how they feel about creativity and you know storytelling and what I hear about their culture and stuff like that. I think that would be amazing. And I have a lot of respect for the stuff they make. It's like amazing. But then I think, oh no, like <laughs> I can do that when I could be, I don't know, making a tool to lunch help bot. people order lunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just a vehicle for functionality no, no, that no, I think I could help other people. I don't mean to but, diminish uh, the work you're doing, but we we did talk about building the perfect lunch bot. Yeah, but as <laughs> as an expression of the perfect platform. Yes. So actually, <laughs> in fact, in fact, I think that that like wanting to help people in some way and make something super important, that idea uh is almost <laughs> almost a little bit of a burden that I have. Um, so it makes it hard for me to choose like what to do. Cause like, should I be trying to, you know, help some folks go cure cancer or whatever, yeah. or help uh, the, you know, the democracy somehow, right. Or the, our, our, our political system, or should I try to, you know, there's so many good, important problems out there. Right. And for me, it's sort of like a decision paralysis kind of thing. Which one of those is the most valuable? Which one am I best suited to help with? So I've always actually gravitated one level up meta to tools. So like, for example, at Squarespace, it was, you know, if I make it easy to make a website, any one of these people who needs their Mm -hmm. website for any one of these problems can use this tool. At Slack, same thing. Like if we can help teams communicate better than a team Helping solve it, cancer instead you know, of being that team, you're yeah. enabling it through something that exactly. you are exceptionally exactly. That's that's, that's something. pretty powerful. That came up with uh, May Lee and Andy mm-hmm. is like education. It's like, what if we could just teach the people that are going to be building the cool things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. So that to me is like, ooh, phew, I don't have to choose. Like, I'm just gonna <laughs> sweet. Like, I'm gonna make these tools, and you can use it however you well, like, want to do like your best work. So if you make a game. And it just is like a mobile ads powered game or some like microtransaction powered game, but you make a really good one and it does a lot. And then you can use that money to support something that does something better that maybe you're not like, maybe you are the most qualified to make a really good game, but not really to solve cancer by yourself. Like (laughs) that is a way to do that thing. I totally agree. I think that's fine. And I feel that way about science. Like there are, there is some really heavy, important science that is going to like 10 years out be the reason that we can do like a bunch of the stuff we're doing now, right? Like the reason we have some of the, you know, there's technologies in our phones that enable all kinds of things that are a result of like 
someone 15 years ago doing research on some substrate, yeah. you know, two things sticking together. And the result is that five years from there, someone else was like, hey, I can use this finding to put pixels really close together. And then five years after that, Samsung was like, hey, we can use this to make a really dope, like high density screen or, you know, like that's how all of technology kind of works. And so I have a lot of respect for people working a little bit further upstream um, or, or people making like, you know, culturally significant stuff, you know, these things that are a carrier for our values. And like, that's, that's what media is essentially. So I have a lot of respect for that, but me personally, I can't get too far downstream, like too far away from the like connection between what I'm making and the direct impact it's having mm. before I, I get, I, I, you know, I stop liking it as much. I stop being as interested. So Maybe if I was just really good at something further downstream, like I was like this amazing game designer, I would feel like I could really add value there, you know, to society instead. But to me, I'm better at these things where, you know, and I'm more interested in something that's a little closer to, um, I guess, the the effect that it's having, which is why I've always been like, I can do computer science stuff, but I'm more interested in the interface right, that like right. someone will use. It's powered by computer science and, the, and without it, Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't be possible at all, but I'm actually interested a little bit, you know, something that's closer to the person, mm-hmm. you know, or the problem. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So what did you do after school? What did I do after right. school? Did you do any sort of internships while you were studying product design? I did. I did a couple. Let's see. I started doing internships when I was 16. So I actually... Oh, this was pre-college. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember which ones happened Damn, that's college. really early for internships. What was your first one? Um, I was an IT person at Deloitte. When you were 16? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was an IT intern. Uh, and uh, that actually helped me a lot with design because they forgot that I existed, basically. <laughs> I got hired. I went through the training where I'm like, you know, when you're an intern, you go through the standard employee kind of onboarding, which is weird. And there was all this like compliance stuff, you know, it's a financial services company. Yeah. So they're like teaching you how to not, you know, get in trouble with the SEC or yeah. whatever. And I have no idea what's going on. Obviously I'm 16. I'm like, what does this have to do with me? I have no <laughs> idea. And then they like plot me down in some cubicle. And then that's kind of it. You know, what? I like, wow. I like don't know what to do. You know, I think they just, they, I feel like they forgot about me and I was like, I'm just going to, do what in my head a professional would do. So I'm coming to work in Wearing my suit. a suit. Tie. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming to work in my suit. I'm sitting down at the cubicle, waiting for someone to tell me what to do. Looking which is not busy. What a professional I had would Excel do. open. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I get lunch 12 to 1, and I come back, and I'm pretty much just sitting there until um, 6 p.m. You grew up too early, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't know. What to, what is, is this where the job is? Um, and then I discover that there's a, they kind of have like an internal employee training, like video database, like a lynda.com specifically for employees. And that's actually how I learned Photoshop for the first time. Cause oh, I was cool. looking through those and I just, I spent two weeks learning Photoshop until finally someone like remembered, like someone in the IT team was like, Hey, I think you're our intern. Like we should something, something. <laughs> what have you been up to? I don't know. Watching videos. Yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> like I, yeah. I watch what I can do in Photoshop. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is what a job is. Like, uh, you know, no wonder you basically so just learn whatever happy. you want and like you get paid for it. It's pretty, yeah. Pretty so, chill. Yeah. I, if I knew what I knew now, I would like go and try to talk to some people yeah, and explore yeah. more and see what I could help I mean, with. shit, but you're 16. I was 16. I just sort of sat there like, you know, no one gave me directions. So I wasn't going to do anything. And then, they had me doing essentially grunt work mm-hmm. for a while. 
because uh, what could I be good at? I'm 16. I was like packing Toshibas in boxes. And then there, it gets to a point where I'm like, you know, like I actually know a lot about computers. Like, you don't, you maybe don't think so, but like I've been fucking around with the computers for yeah. a while. Um, so, you know, I can troubleshoot and I got hired in for this position as IT because I've actually been like, I, I we had it. I was lucky enough in fourth grade to be in district six in New York, which was the the first or maybe the only district in the city to partner with Toshiba and Microsoft so that there was like a, like everyone in that district got a laptop. Oh, wow. So like you said, remember that, uh, yeah. People get exposure to computers yeah, and being amazing. able to tinker by themselves. And that's how like later down the line, they end up as a computer science. But like I, as a fourth grader got access to like a laptop and that, you know, and I quickly became, you know, I was helping my teachers fix their printers and like Wi-Fi, And, you know, if you, if you know anything about it support and you know that like, it's essentially like, What's the problem? I don't know. Let's experiment until we find out. And the difference <laughs> mm-hmm. between someone who can do that and someone who can't is that's knowing you know, how one, to Google something. Yeah, one person is willing to Google it, and the other person is just like, I don't know. You, you, you help me. Yeah. Um, so I had those skills. You know, I'd run into common problems. I knew about reinstalling Windows. Like I, I had done that stuff. And <laughs> once I showed that, if you to use them, Windows, you learn yeah, how to do yeah. that. <laughs> exactly. Like it's not working. Like let's reformat your hard drive. Like uh-huh. I knew that stuff, and I was. I, you know, I was able Defrag to share it again. that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fragmentation. God. Oh my gosh. I used to do that all the I time. I used to do that all the time. <laughs> like, oh, it's so much faster now, I think. Yeah, who knows? Um, so I, I, once I shared that with them, they actually put me a little bit closer to the front lines. I was helping people with their computers. And then the end of the summer was me actually helping people with their IT problems. So that was mm-hmm. my first internship. Um, and I did that for two other summers there and at another company called Blackstone. Um, and that's what helped me decide that I never wanted to do IT because people were really ungrateful and they don't treat you well uh-huh. when you're in IT. They treat you as if you messed up their computer uh-huh. or they should treat you great because you're the person fixing their computer even though it's not their problem. I've had Sounds you know, shit. someone threw a Blackberry at me one time. I discovered- Well, that's not very painful. It's just a little small. <laughs> it's just a piece of fruit. Yeah. <laughs> it's more, more rude than anything. <laughs> Thanks for the snack. <laughs> <laughs> Catch it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, wait, 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 hang phone. on. Someone actually threw their BlackBerry at you? BlackBerry phone. BlackBerry phone. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. <laughs> um, yeah. I, what? You know, Who I, the fuck throws a phone? <laughs> well, you would be surprised how rude people feel like they can be at a financial for- services firm. Um, maybe some other places are like this too, but... I don't feel like I would be surprised by this. Like, yeah. I feel like this is like an Austin Powers. Like, who throws a shoe? Did you just say Austin Powers? Yeah, he's like, honestly, who throws a who shoe? Throws, honestly. Uh, who throws yeah. a shoe? It was like, like Who throws their phone? Yeah. Any phone. Yeah. It was, uh, it's I, discovered, a so. I discovered how important a senior vice president actually was, you know, um, to their senior partner. To, to themselves. To themselves. You know, <laughs> in like the hierarchy of the company, to me, that doesn't sound like a big title. Like when I was 16, I was like, like a senior, like a senior partner. Oh, like, so you're like an old mean? person. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know anything about it, and I remember like, I, this is the I, I cool. Who are your partners with? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think of it as the time I almost got fired. But I remember I got a call at the help desk. They were like, "I can't open this file." I'm like, "Oh, oh, sure." Like, um, do you remember what program? Like, you, it's the like I can't open this file in this email, and I'm asking, "Do you remember what program the person used to create the file? Like, do you know what kind of?" Um, like what sort of thing they're trying to send you. And they're like, oh, how am I supposed to know what kind of thing is? She's like, this person goes off. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then like hangs up, calls 
my manager, who sits right next to me. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> I just talked to the helmet, fire this guy, something like that. And I was like, yeah, ha. he's like, yeah, ha, ha, yeah, yeah, totally well. Don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll take a look at that. He's, he's like, just being like, yeah, yeah, I'll fire him. Terrible. Yeah, you're right. Just, you know, you know, hangs up the phone, turns to me. He's like, listen, what you got to do is you, you say, yes, okay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take a look at it and call you back. Like, don't troubleshoot with them over the phone. And I'm like, like, what? Like, <laughs> and then what he did is he just, he took the file. He tried adding PDF, .pdf to the end of it. Didn't work. Tried adding .doc. Okay, it opens now. Sweet. Um, and he was, and he called her back and did that. But that's sort of what it was like. That to me encapsulates what it was like working in IT. That People sucks. were like, I have this problem. Fix this problem. Rah, I'm so angry. Like, you know, it's your fault, essentially. Um, so I knew I didn't want to do that. I wanted well, to I did it for two more summers and then I well, realized. Well, <laughs> I mean, this was, remember, this is early. Yeah, like, you got it. First summer in college, I think, and a couple summers when yeah. I was in uh, high school and I discovered that's not what I want to do. And, you know. A good internship, sixteen bucks an hour for a sixteen-year-old is like that's actually real serious, really money. good. Holy shit! Like real serious to me. I was like, "What? That's a great actually. That was amazing. <laughs> wow. that was such a good gig. Oh, so good. Yeah. yeah, I was very excited about that. Um, yeah. And then where else did I enter? I interned at Google at the end of my like that was the summer before I graduated, mm-hmm. and that kind of for was, design. Uh, not really. I was trying to make it about that, but when I think about it, it honestly wasn't. <laughs> I, it was one of those situations where you, what you aspire to become and what you hope the job is, you sort of project that out and try to make it the case. But really, like analyzing it from a third party perspective, it wasn't that at all. Um, it was something called the, it was through a, the BOLD program, which stands for Building Opportunities in Leadership and development or diversity or something like that anyway it was an internship for for brown folks mostly you know for one of those diversity initiatives Hmm. and uh i was a little bit technical and i was interested in design and they placed me in uh ruse real estate and workplace services which is essentially google's facilities team okay um and they work on all the internal google stuff like google's so giant that their facilities team is a serious, serious thing. I mean, opening spaces, keeping them up to date, like they run the transportation, you know, the the feeding, like this many thousand people is actually a serious sort of logistical Logistical situation. So they do all of that stuff. And I, they don't have like engineers, like a really, you know, and, and they wanted me to build this like web tool for events Mm -hmm. in like internal events that would collect all the Google calendars together. Um, and like allow someone who, to like sign, look at the soccer Google calendar and the Google calendar for this kind of employee internal yeah. event and that kind of thing. So they had me doing that. And that was my internship at the, before I left, uh, before I left college. Got it. And then you graduated. Then I graduated. I was a part of this program called the New York City Turing Fellows that I found as part of my school's career development page thing. And it was the mayor and some venture capital firm wanted to get more people in tech in New York, Silicon Alley, mm-hmm. they try to call it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something that'll ever catch on. But um, 
they wanted to get engineers and startups over there. And I, it was a good opportunity. I saw to interview with a lot of startups at the same time. Cause you kind of, it was sort of like the designer fund bridge program where you interview kind of to get in and then you're exposed to a set of companies. So I thought that was a good, like sort of maximizing function there. And I saw that there was some companies I was interested in that were part of the program. One of them uh, being Squarespace. Yeah. So I actually got to interview um, the Squarespace and a couple of other companies as part of that. And I ranked Squarespace as number one and they ranked me as number one because it turns out I was sort of the only designer that was like essentially everyone else that got in was a computer scientist and they were huh. going to be hired as engineers. And I was like there with my design background yeah, like, trying to, you know, so I, my, my leg up was to be a sort of the most designery developer type <laughs> there. Um, but so I you were all black. <laughs> I was stylish. <laughs> so, you know, that, that was my leg up. Um, and so my first job out of college was working at Squarespace. What was that like? Or what did you do? I uh, My title initially was uh, design engineer. Mm-hmm. That's a cool title. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. Uh, and to be honest with you, I, I did a lot of front-end development yeah. when I got there because I had been making websites on the side in college mm-hmm. just for extra money. And I ended up knowing a lot more HTML, CSS uh, and JavaScript than yeah. a lot of the people there coming out of computer science programs because they get theory, right? They get, yeah. you know, if you learn C++, Java, C, you know, uh, logic and all this stuff, when you come out of school, you're not necessarily immediately prepared to work on Apply a Wyatt, <laughs> yeah. you know? And I was actually had a lot of those skills because, or the ones you need to work on front end because I had just been doing that before. So um, I ended up, coding you know a lot of front end stuff and wanting to do i in my brain i was wanting to do design and development but the reality is that i ended up doing a lot more development and sort of a year in i was like you know what i need to cut off like i need to to officially be only doing design stuff because i don't i'm noticing that it's a real like context switching problem where if you're thinking as an engineer even if you're like a designer or design oriented, you're kind of stuck in the weeds of the problem and you can't see things that you would see if, if you weren't building it. And that yeah. kept happening to me where it was like, I'm like working on this really hard problem. How do I get this thing to come in and, you know, to appear and it's got this bug. And then someone would come over and be like, why are you doing that? Why doesn't it just like show the name on the top and then you don't have to do any of this. And I'd be like, duh. like if I was <laughs> just thinking about the design and not about coding this up, I would have thought of that. Like, I'm sure of it. So I think you can be a designer and an engineer, but for them, but not at the same time. Yeah. I think <laughs> you have to have like a cadence of going in and I, I out. I think of I the disagree weeds. with that. That's interesting. Well, I, uh, mm, uh, I see what you're saying. I think, uh, I definitely am in, in that situation a lot where I get too in the weeds that I miss the big picture. And then sometimes yeah. I'm too in the big picture and then I go to start implementing. And I'm like, ah, fuck, that's actually pretty hard. <laughs> uh, so being able to like go up and down that yeah. alternating yeah, uh, I, I, I think for me is helpful, I guess. At hmm. the very least, if you're going to be both, you can't be, you have to be like one day engineering, a couple days engineering, and then such a design style. Hmm. Like, like you like, work really hard doing just the design stuff, designing the interface, da, 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 and then you get into more of an implementation mode and you switch over. But you can't do the like, I'm designing and developing at the same time thing. I don't think you can successfully. I think hmm. that 
you could. And I've seen a very, very small set of people who can actually do this and a still relatively small, but bigger set of people who think they can, but can't. Um, <laughs> and they rarely hit the results that someone that you would, if you had someone fully dedicated to design and someone fully dedicated to engineering. So it became clear to me at Squarespace that like, even if I had the full designer skill set and the full developer skill set, you know, can you just hire one of those people and pay them like a little less than twice as much and be fine? And I think the answer is no, you actually better, you get a better output if you have someone who can dedicate all of their sort of mental faculties to one side and then all of their mental faculties to the other side, and then you get something a little better. At scale specialization definitely makes sense Mm -hmm. to be clear. Like I totally agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I just, don't think you can't do both is the only thing. Yeah. It's more of a both simultaneously kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially at a startup, like everyone needs to do a little bit of everything. Um, mm-hmm. And it definitely, I think both skills can reside within the same person. I definitely believe that. But I, I found it, I discovered at Squarespace that like, sure, I'm an engineer. I can do engineering. I can develop a web app. I can develop front end i can solve these sort of problems i can also do design stuff i can you know try to uh figure out what the real problem is research wireframes blah 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 prototyping i can do all that stuff but if i want to create something really good like i need to focus on one of those things Mm -hmm. and i can be kind of like half doing both it's sort of like paying attention to two things at the same time you're not going to do as well as if you paid attention to you know one or the other it's like whole ass one thing not half ass two things (laughs) exactly that's exactly right so and and you know there's all these people around me with engineering degrees and study computer science i'm like these are the people (laughs) who can focus on that and i you know i want to make the i want to make the switch to doing design stuff uh full time because that's the side that i care about more and the engineering side can be a benefit to that because i think my favorite engineers to work with are the like design minded ones, you know? And I think a lot of engineering folks like engineering minded designers. Mm-hmm. So those, that's really powerful to just like have that skill set. But in terms, do I want to work with a person who is a designer in their role and a developer in their role and expect to do both? No, because I don't think they're going to be good at either thing. And I certainly wasn't, and I could see it happening. So I was like, no, I need to, I'm, you know, not going to be on call for, <laughs> these bugs and I just don't want to ever designing. be on call yeah. for anything. I'm not going to develop these things. Like I have some thoughts and ideas there, but I'm just going to, I'm going to worry yeah. about interface. Cause I, I could also see my peers getting better at design stuff much faster because you know, it's just a, it's opportunity cost thing. There's time spent yeah. learning the code base, yeah. learning yeah. new tooling and you know, uh, build processes and learning about testing and getting better and better at development stuff. And you can do that, but that's time you're not spending getting better and better at, you know, layout type. That's right. Color, composition, UI stuff, product strategy. That's like, and I could see my peers getting better at that faster because they were dedicating 100% of their time to it. And I wanted to be on that side. So for you, did that mean just switching roles in Squarespace? It essentially meant like, you know, I had, you know, a meeting about like, hey, I'm going to 
that's, this is it. This is my last project. Everything from here on, I'm not going to do development for it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be squarely on the design side. Work squarely. More, <laughs> more uh, tightly with the designers and not Square in the design space. <laughs> yeah. Square in the design space. Squarely in the design um, space, space at Squarespace. And that, uh, that, you know, mind you, I wasn't very good design <laughs> at that point uh but that accelerated but god damn it i was confident my i had accelerated my growth in that area yeah. a lot faster yeah and i and before then i think i got like i could get a job right now as a front-end developer with yeah. the skills that i gained that like that yeah you know doing that stuff at squarespace um and that's great i'm i'm glad i had those skills but like i could have skipped right over that and become like <laughs> get an extra year of becoming a better designer, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I switched over and, uh, That's Squarespace. yeah. So yeah. I was, uh, there for two and a half years yeah. total. Um, and about a year in is when I became more like, I want to do a hundred percent design stuff and not 50% with a creeping yeah. to yeah. 80%, you know, yeah. um, or creeping to 20%, I guess. Um, because technical problems swallow, sort of everything else uh-huh. you know when stuff is when, it's, when there's a bug and it doesn't work it doesn't work there's no mm-hmm. that's it hey yep. Bryn, how much time did you spend <laughs> debugging the ios safari toolbar bottom 44 pixels of safari i hate, I hate everything about it do you see what I'm, that's exactly what i'm talking about <laughs> that's where i would get stuck and i'm like I'd this, already, this isn't the real problem I yeah would, i'd already yeah. like solved the rest of it though it was just like debugging at the exactly. end yeah, yeah. That so i'd already done the design so work frustrating see, yeah part part of why i think i disagree is like i think you can use code as a tool to do design work and i think that's kind of how i like to process it. like i don't like to do layout twice <laughs> yeah so i agree with that and i think that's there's a there's a tooling thing there mm-hmm. where you could get closer and closer to the real thing uh, with the right tools, but now being officially only a designer and not having to worry about like this weird, very code base specific, like intricacies of Slack or whatever, I can use t- code to help me mm-hmm. do design. I'm, mm-hmm. I do code prototypes and I use my knowledge of how like front end stuff works to, to figure out what we can do, how I can work closely with the engineers, how what's possible, what isn't, how we can solve these problems. I've made like reference prototypes, but like being freed from the actually having to put it in production piece of it is really great because I hmm. can move much faster on the design because now I don't like I can make my things in isolation. I can code things up in Framer. Like I can use my coding background to enhance and build to learn without having to worry about like does it actually support internationalization and it will never break and it has tests and i it takes into account this weird thing that happens in php or the weird thing that we named in this other case and you know oh it's on the wrong database shard it has to be (laughs) none of that stuff matters to the design (laughs) um and if i didn't have to do that I could spend even more time on the design and the design would be even better. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of how I feel. I do believe mm-hmm. you. Like I know, mm-hmm. like was Raphael Shad ever on this show? No. Was he on there? No. He was one, he was a person um, on, uh, he used to work at Flipboard um, and he's one of those like the designer and developer types. And I think mm-hmm. like he totally manages to, to do both. Yeah. Um, and I think there are a lot of people out there like him, not that many and not as many as they think. <laughs> um, 
but there are people who can do it. And I still think you get more bang for your buck with like separating the responsibilities and just leveraging, you know, having designery developers and developery designers more than a designer developer. Yeah, I can see it. I think that becomes certainly more applicable at a larger company. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me like startups probably are forced into a situation where it's like, fuck, we just need everyone does to, everything. Yeah, yeah. We just need a person. That's handy here. for sure. Yeah. At a small company, <laughs> yeah. it's way handy. Yeah. 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 What'd you do after Squarespace? Uh, I moved out to San Francisco. Yeah. Why'd you make the switch? Uh, well, Silicon Alley wasn't pa- panning out, huh? I like New York a lot and I like Squarespace a lot, to be honest with you. In fact, if I could have moved out to San Francisco and taken Squarespace with me, at the time, I probably would have chosen to do that. Yo, Squarespace, I'm going to move. If y'all want to come with, yeah, yeah. let me know. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I, d- I don't think remote work is that, you know, that's not really appealing to me. Um, I, don't, I also don't think they probably would have let me. But uh, I, I moved mostly, actually, because my girlfriend at the time wanted mm. to move. So That'll do it. You know. So you ended up it is what it is. <laughs> in San Francisco. I ended up in San Francisco with a new job at LinkedIn. Yeah. Was that in the... SF office or were you commuting? It was south? in Mountain View. It was yeah. the Mountain View headquarters, which uh real decrease in my quality of life there. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Why LinkedIn? You know, th- there was a, you know, there was a, a feeling of a time pressure. So I, it, I couldn't choose from infinite companies. There was this small set of yes. companies that had, I had contacted and who had returned my calls. I understand. And, and you know, yes. I had interviews with, which, you know, I was, it came down to a, maybe four or five where only two of them I could actually like yeah, sure. want to work at. Um, and then when it came down to the final two, I was choosing between one was a much smaller, like startup style company and one was LinkedIn. And I kind of felt having been at Squarespace, which is a small, more startupy company that I could benefit from seeing what a much larger yeah. corporate style environment was um or at least you know that I, I i was interviewing for a position as a designer on the profile team and that was like really compelling as like a, wow you know 350 million users like to me the linkedin profile is sort of linkedin so that to me was like a big scale opportunity that i yeah. was interested in um but i had worked i had interned at google so i already knew that like i don't want a company that's that big. Cause I felt very much like a cog in the machine where I couldn't see the impact of my work at Google. Um, even though, I mean, it was literally only for internal use, but even people who like, I could see people who were working on, um, uh, ex, you know, external facing products. Like it felt too big to me. And I was a little wary of that going into LinkedIn, but I talked to a lot of people and they were all like, no, no, we can, you know, it's a little slower than a, than a small company, but it is, we can move quickly and, you know, they kind of allayed my fears a little bit. And I was sort of getting some red flags, some culture flags from the other place I was looking at. Um, so I finally, you know, I decided to pull the trigger on LinkedIn and move out yeah. here for that. How'd it go? It was, uh, there was, there was a team dynamic thing that was happening. I think one thing I learned at Squarespace was how, was the connection between your internal culture and the product you make. I could very easily see 
like once you meet Anthony and the people that he worked with at the time, people he works with now, you could see like, oh, I see how these people would make a product like this. This is like their style. Like this is, you know, you can see their the the way that their way of thinking is reflected in the product. And so that to me was like, oh yeah, you know, like your culture is your product in that way. And honestly, I should have, I, for some reason, I didn't make the connection in the other direction that like you can tell what a culture is like from the product. And I should have, I should have spotted that if you, if you go and I mean, LinkedIn is recently redesigned, but if you, if you, if you went and used it before, um, maybe even now in some cases, you can kind of see like a battle of the PM. Yeah. Not everyone's working all the way together. Maybe like, what's the most important thing on this page? Like, can they, are they, <laughs> everything agreeing? is the like, most important yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> there was a sense of that. And yeah. I didn't pick up on that and I got there and I was like, yes, like this is definitely happening. Like there's, and and the way you offset that I think is with a really, with really strong leadership that has sort of a, a mission that kind of can propagate down well. And I think they were also missing that. I think um, CEO at the time was Jeff Weiner, probably still is. Um, and he's uh, from my perspective, working at the company, he seemed to be a pretty good sort of businessman, like operations kind of, person but he wasn't really projecting a strong mission that allowed you to make product decisions at like the ground level mm-hmm. so it's like what's linkedin for okay connecting the world's professionals what does that mean you, you couldn't practically use the yeah, mission like what do i do with that uh does that mean we should do a or b like do i do i have information about our values and our mission that i can use to make these trade-offs and and we really didn't and the result is we had really weird goals that didn't really map to like I remember one time, one of the goals was, um, you know, something like increasing profile views, like 10%. Wow. Now, why? Yeah. Like, why? Why would we do that? Oh, because more because more people come to the profile? That's not inherently good, right? Uh, more money from ads? Maybe. But we should just say that as a goal. We want to increase our ad revenue. Like, that's what you want to do. Okay, what can we change to increase the ad revenue? Yeah, like that, you would make a different decision, right? Yeah, like right? that, we, we weren't... Have, we didn't have goals that appeared to be a, a proxy for a good user experience or the thing that we wanted to accomplish as the mission. And that made it really hard to decide what to do and how to do it. And so there was a confluence of things like that and team dynamics and people who had been there for years and kind of wanted to bounce and some like engineering debt, like everything kind of this hodgepodge of things mixed together. And it, it was not working for me as a person who cares about the values of the thing that they're making and like i would much rather make 10 beautiful like supremely functional things that everyone who buys them loves it and 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 it works well for them than to make like a billion widgets that like you know are kind of whack but you know they sell a lot like i don't care about just the money making aspect on its own and i think maybe that's a result of school where before I just just cared about making stuff and maybe making it and selling it. And now I cared about like making a positive difference in people's lives. Um, so that, you know, that wasn't working for me. And I think I also ran into, you know, some management where I, I, they didn't recognize that in me and, or, or I don't know, my particular style, like they weren't able to help me grow. Um, so you uh, left. Yeah. So I bounced. Um, and I went to Slack. And here you are. Well, you. So, how long have you been at Slack now? Um, I have been at Slack for. I'm coming up on three years. That's a long time. It'll be three years in July. Wow. So three years ago was about the time that 
we were just implementing the beta at my first company here in SF. Yeah, it wasn't too long after, I believe the preview release had been out for somewhere between three and six months. Or maybe, maybe they just gone into the open beta or everyone could access it. So it was pretty small, um, for about 40 people. 25 people in my office, maybe 12 in Vancouver, something like that. It was, um, but I know those numbers don't add up, but um, <laughs> hey, there was. I'm uh, going to stop you there. Uh, <laughs> you said he studied computer science. That was- <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it was pretty small. It was pretty small at the time. I was a third designer in the first one in San Francisco when I started. Why Slack? Why Slack? See, that's a more positive face that's when I ask. That's a positive face. Why that company? Oh, man, that was a good smile. <laughs> well, I actually realized that thing that I mentioned earlier about the culture equaling the product. You learned and, the thing, yeah. And the product, being able to infer the culture of the company from the product, like two and a half months into LinkedIn. I like knew already. And I was going to give it a shot. Like I know, you know. It's, it's not good to leave a job. You know, I think about a year is, is how long you, I feel like people think you have to stay, you know, before, so you don't look like a, a chump who's just like entering and exiting very quickly. I left my last job at eight months. So he's <laughs> just looking <laughs> yeah, at me. Yeah, chump. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> it was a really great job. There, There is definitely like a sense of like, this is too short a time yeah. somewhere. Yeah, 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 totally. Like, not that it should be that way. I no. think if you have a good reason, whatever. Yeah, we know what you mean. Um, but I wanted to give it a shot. But honestly, I knew. Yeah. Like three months in, I yeah. knew. I was like, I should have known, man. Like, I've used LinkedIn before. Like, I would have, <laughs> should have known. Um, but I had a lot of hope. You know, maybe I can make change. I can be agent of change. Can. Um, so I already knew. <laughs> and I discovered Slack while I was at LinkedIn. Uh-huh. Um, because we needed an internal communication tool. Uh, I believe my manager said something like, have you heard of Stuart Butterfield's new thing? And I responded with, who's Stuart Butterfield? <laughs> uh, and he's like, uh, Yahoo, Flickr, you know, Web 2.0. I'm like, mm, who? Web what? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I guess I'm too young. I'm not OG internet the way mm. um, these folks are. So I didn't know about that. But I went through the onboarding flow of Slack. I saw I landed on the web page. I created a team. Slackbot talked to me. And then I was like, this team, like this team knows what's up. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of place I want to work for. And I can tell from their product because now I have the knowledge. Like I know, you know, I can extrapolate from product to culture and culture to product. Like I don't need any more information really. Um, and I actually sent my resume in. I don't This is kind of Yo, the Dio, cat's out of the bag. Can, can you research something for us? Yeah. And while I'm at it, I'm going to apply there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the first time I've said that. Um, but I sent it right uh, yeah. there. And, you know, I – Worked at LinkedIn for another six months after that, but um, no one got back to me for a while. And then at some point later, you know, I started talking to the recruiter, and that's where you know I finally ended up. Um, What's it been like? So you started the team was tiny, and now Slack is a behemoth. Huge, it's yeah. huge. What's I it think been? It's over eight hundred now. I don't know exactly what the Holy number is, shit. but um, so now you're OG Slack. I think compared to. The, the majority of the population there for sure. Yeah. Um, given how fast it's grown. So what's it been like? It's it's essentially been a different company every, at least every three months, if not, you know, shorter than that. Um, so the only constant has been change hmm. is how I would put it. Um, well, that and the reason I think it 
hasn't totally fallen apart and you know the wheels haven't come off because really that's too much growth to ex- to expect any company to weather like that's really mm-hmm. too fast um but we've made it i think because our mission was so strong because our values have been so strongly yeah. expressed because we're so proactive about thinking about the way in which we're doing stuff the way in which we talk to each other the way in which we're working together like the actual goals of the product too yeah like yeah. It, we've just been ruthless about that it seems and i think that's kept things for the most part together i mean you know growing pains are growing pains but i i can honestly say that i still like it there a lot for essentially all the same reasons as as where i started even though it's so different i mean this is office number four i've interacted with and desk number seven or something like you know i've worked with at this point more than it's been at least 11 or 12 PMs, you know, a lot of different teams and that kind of thing. And that's essentially a bunch of different companies, yeah. right? Um, but I think the core values have always been there. What's something you've shipped that you're most proud of? Oh, someone asked me the other day. I, this is this is so hard to answer for me because I'm constantly disappointed in everything I make, like as soon as I make it. Yeah. <laughs> like just before I'm finished, maybe, I think <laughs> – um, and things, things take long enough to get released, which really isn't that long because it's only been three years. Yeah. We've done so many things, um, that like, you know, you have that rush when you finish designing it and you think it's a good solution and you vet it and you make some changes and you're like, this is it. This is what's going out. And then by the time it gets out, you're like, well, shit. So more. Like, <laughs> yeah. We could have done that. We should do There's so much work to do. So it's hard to answer that question. I think, um, I'm really excited about my current project which I'll be able to talk about soon, but not now. And it's the Pepito bot. <laughs> bot. It's Lunchbot. It's Lunchbot. Pepito. Uh, <laughs> um, I was a uh, lead designer on the app directory mm-hmm. and it was a, you know, a massive That was group a big splash. Effort, yeah. But it was my largest project to date. And I feel pretty good about how that went specifically because I did a lot of kind of on the ground interpersonal work and to like, it was a stretch, you know, because they wanted to do less than what happened. And I'm like, no, this is what we need. It's like the minimum we need to make something really good. And we did really push it. You know, there was some, I don't know that we were painting behind the cabinet necessarily in okay. all the locations. <laughs> yeah. But certainly everything people could see was uh, buttoned down. Beautifully nice. painted. Yes. You know, um, and, you know, that went really well. It got launched. We, you know, we have over less than a year later we had like 700 apps in the directory or something it was i think that went really well so i'm proud of that and i'm I'm actually really proud of how our team has kind of come together on design work and and how how much work we're doing on our own process of working mm-hmm. together uh and and making the platform what we want it to be i like we we i feel like our team is moving so fast now and getting like everything we wanted to get done done so i think the next year is going to be like you're going to see the platform team like so much cool stuff is going to come out so that's the good stuff we always like to end by asking what keeps you up at night what keeps me up at night related to what can be anything open to interpretation but not literal what, what do you we're, think about we're looking it? for yeah. like a metaphorical like what are you worried about what are you <laughs> questioning i don't know at slack anything. no just generally hmm what do you worry about well i i have personal worries around I guess the, what we talked about before energy management, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, 
there's a lot going on. There's a lot to do. There's a, there's a lot that you need to accomplish and work on to do your job very well. Um, you know, and I've been working on a lot of stuff simultaneously, like not just sometimes multiple projects, but also like getting feedback from people and, you know, from a bunch of different people and trying to gather that together and figure out what I can change, what I should work on, how I can use my strengths to offset my weaknesses or that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's always plenty to work on to be sure. Um, so the thing that I worry a lot about is managing my energy so that I can manage to find the most important things to work on and, and chip away at those just from a yeah. interpersonal dynamics perspective, from a communication perspective, um, from just like a doing my job well. Have you found anything particularly helpful in energy management? Um, there's, there's a lot to being very mindful of. Well, here's a problem being mindful. You know, what, what is the quote? It's, it's easy to be mindful. It's hard to remember. Mm. <laughs> and when I'm, uh, tired, I can't do it at all. So, Speaking of energy management, like if you're mindful, you can manage energy. But if when I'm tired, I can't be mindful. And so I just can't. Yeah. Um, so in terms of things that uh, help me properly to manage my own energy and make sure I have enough, you know, I'm ready to be mindful in these moments or I'm talking to people or trying to accomplish stuff or, um, you know, want to get creative work done, I think thinking about my rituals, you know, the, the ways I get space or mental clarity or the way I take breaks or how I'm kind of self-care realm hmm. stuff that being very deliberate about sort of designing those things, even things like getting enough sleep and when do I exercise and that kind of stuff yeah. is, is I don't realize until sort of it's too late that those are the most important things when it comes to having the energy that I want, that I need in these situations. So I focus a lot of energy there, um, a lot of time thinking about those things. So that I think has helped being deliberate about yeah. the time that's not spent um, in these key moments, I guess. Um, totally. I find that helpful work. too. Yeah. There's this 99U book, I think, called uh, – that's sort of about routines and habits or something like that. I don't remember what the name is. Gosh. But I thought it was really. Yeah. I think. Practical. Um, I mean, maybe I just relate so well because we have the same Myers-Briggs profile. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> All right. You know what? I think that's true even if yeah. he doesn't believe it. Get out of here, And Brent. with that, we're out of time. <laughs> no, we are out Seriously, of time. like way over. So thank you for coming to hang out with us and being. winded no, no, this is. Thank you for being generous with your time. So good. Thanks. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That was episode 202. Thanks so much to Dio for coming over and talking to us. He's been on our list for a long time. We met at XOX and I really wanted him to come do this episode. I'm glad it happened. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, come let us know what you think at spectrum.chat slash specfm. That's where we have our community for all the podcasts on the spec network. Design details is in there. We'll be posting the episode and chatting about it. Uh, of course, before we go, huge thank you to our sponsors who made this episode possible. First up, Figma. If you need a job, go to figma.com slash careers. They're looking for a design advocate as well as a content writer to help make Figma more awesome. And share it with more people and help people learn and grow and do better and do better work and just make everything in the world better. It's a rad team, a rad product design tool. You can check it out at figma.com. And if you're looking for a gig, that's at figma.com slash careers. 
Thanks once again to Figma. Our second sponsor is Fuse. Fuse is making it possible to build better apps in less time with less code with your team or by yourself. Everything compiles down to real native apps so you can build whatever you want in a way that makes sense. You're working in a component structure that maps well to the way we design things and taking that all the way down to Objective-C, Swift, Java. It's a pretty good place. So level up at FuseTools.com. Start building great apps. Uh, And if you are looking for a deal on the professional plan for you or your team, use the promo code DESIGNDETAILS at checkout and that'll get you 50% off that plan for 12 months. Thank you once again to Fuse. And we'll see you tomorrow in our Vectors live chat. That's at spectrum.chat slash vectors. And if you're going to be at the event here in San Francisco on the 15th of June, this year, 2017. Say hi, Brian's the tallest boy there is. Yeah, you'll spot me. I'll be the tallest person in the venue, most likely. And uh, it'll be chill. And he sounds like that when he's talking. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you soon. See you next week.